Part two. Yeah. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we are uh, doing the baseball. Uh, this is, uh, as we mentioned, part two. Bill Vec, Ed Z, has been already told us more than 45 minutes about the. Uh, how would we describe Bill? Maverick? Maverick. That's kind owner? of like a go to, I guess. It's kind of like a cop out word, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like. Listen to the first one uh, yeah. if you before you listen to this one if you can, uh, but basically uh, we we've gone through uh, about uh, what the first forty years of his life or yeah, so. So yeah, approximately. Yeah, uh, he's he's already owned. I think he he's on his third, third franchise. Third now. franchise. Yeah. He started with the Brewers, minor league Brewers, and then uh, then bought Cleveland. That's right. And, and then uh, now he's his with wife the, left for the Elephants. So he lost it, a leg. Yeah, that's right. Hollowed <laughs> so, that out, so he had a place to put his smokes. Yeah. So uh, now he's uh, become he's he was sort of asked to become the owner. In court, kind of indirectly, to be the owner of the St. Louis Browns, some cities hoped that they would, that he would move the team to their city. But he's he's staying in St. Louis, and he's trying. Did I say Cleveland Browns by mistake? I just uh, I don't know. I'm having a brain fart there. No, anyway. I think I think we just said Cleveland, and then we said yeah. the Browns afterwards, which is St. Louis Browns. Right. Um, so th- that's something. A big thing. Also, he he found God. And That's lost right. birth control. That's right. Yeah, he has <laughs> six kids now. And, nine uh, kids. Oh, yeah, nine kids, six kids with the new family. Yes. And uh, he's now in St. Louis, as we said, owns the Browns, has just uh, revealed a little person from a cake and brought them in to take a walk and uh, replaced him with a pinch hitter. And... Uh, here we, go. Here we it, go. It sounds like it sounds like he's making some plans to 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 get moving after Bush bought the Cardinals. That's right. Yeah. All right. The Cardinals almost were forced to leave town. Anheuser Bush comes in, buys the team, and now he's like, uh, I think I'm pretty much defeated. I can't run uh, these guys out of town now. I can't. I won't be able to compete Saint, with this kind of money. St. Louis ain't a in a two two team no, city. No. Uh, okay, so so within as we said, so within weeks he struck a deal to move the Browns to Baltimore. The other owners turned down the deal, however, in retaliation to the fact that he had enraged them not only with his stunts by proposing the socialistic idea of sharing television revenue. You want some? Do you of want our... some of the Yankees' money? I don't uh, think so, Bill. Yeah, you socialist. Yes. <laughs> Bill said, "Quote: The vote against me was either silly or malicious, and I prefer to regard it as malicious." <laughs> <laughs> He's probably right. Yes. So now he was a lame duck in St. Louis. Quote: A villain without any money, in his words. He sold Sportsman Park, where the Cardinals had been his tenants, to Bush for eight hundred thousand dollars. During the 1953 season, he sold several players as well as his Arizona ranch to stay afloat. In their last game, the Browns ran out of new baseballs and had to use scuffed-up warm-up balls. At the end of the season, American League owners again blocked Vec from moving to Baltimore. Defeated, 
He sold the club to a Baltimore syndicate, and the league instantly approved the transfer of the franchise. That's shitty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Quote, they didn't care whether they bought him out or froze him out. J.P. Carmichael of the Chicago Daily News wrote, quote, just so they get even with him after five years for disturbing the old established order of things. I like just like things just never change when it comes to the owners of baseball. Have you not? Have they not learned anything as well about Bill Vec? He's just gonna keep coming oh, back. Oh, absolutely. That's the thing. Without these tenacious assholes like Vec and Finley and Turner and Steinbrenner, like where the fuck would baseball be? We would not have this podcast. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not stories like this. Yeah. Okay, so Vec was again searching for a way to get back into the game. He tried to buy the Philadelphia A's and the Detroit Tigers. He worked with the governor of California on bringing a major league ball club to the West Coast. He even negotiated to buy the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. This will bring this Eleanor, will bring back. Eleanor back. <laughs> if I have the elephants, then she's got to come back to me. <laughs> he said people had been telling him for years that he belonged in a circus. <laughs> He scouted for Cleveland, where his friend Hank Greenberg was a general manager, and he spent one season running the AAA Miami Marlins. He also served as a commentator on NBC TV's Game of the Week. In 1956, a family feud finally opened a door for Bill. When White Sox president Grace Comiskey died, she left the majority ownership of the club to her oldest child, Dorothy Rigney rather than her son, Charles Comiskey II. 31-year-old Chuck Comiskey, who was running the team, was now a minority owner and bitterly resented it. The club's board of directors was deadlocked, with two votes controlled by Chuck and two by Dorothy. She owned 54% of the stock, not enough to appoint a fifth member to the board. So they're stuck there. Yeah. There's an impasse. Yeah. So they're squabbling for two years. And after that, Miss Rigney told her lawyers to find a buyer. She'd had enough. So Vec put together a group of financiers to acquire an option on her shares. Although he had sold the Browns for a small profit, Vec had no money himself to invest. But again, he never had a shortage of willing investors. He offered $2.7 million for her 54%, valuing the franchise at uh, $5 million. Yep. Mrs. Rigney's lawyers told him that Chuck would be given a chance to match the price, but Vex said young Comiskey submitted a lowball offer. So the Vex group exercised its option in February 1959. Chuck Comiskey sued to block the sale and would do so many times in the coming months, but he lost every time. Vex said later, quote, Chuck had grown up firmly convinced that the divine order of the universe called for the earth to spin on its axis, the sun to rise in the east, and Charles Comiskey to preside, preside over the fortunes of the White Sox. <laughs> so he's just rubbing it in his yeah. face. You know? <laughs> Comiskey vented his resentment in pettiness. Since he was the highest ranking officer of the corporation, he declared that Vec and his partner Hank Greenberg, quote, can't be on the payroll unless I sign the checks. <laughs> when Vec came to Comiskey Park on the day after the sale closed, Comiskey left the building. I won't talk to Vec as far as business is concerned, he huffed. Vec invited sports writers to have, quote, 54% of a cup of coffee. <laughs> 
He's definitely got away with words. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's he's got timing. Yeah. Comiskey's petulance was more than an annoyance, though. It hindered Vec from pulling off a plan that would have saved him an estimated $2 million in taxes. You see, Bill structured the deal so that most of the purchase price went to the buyers, or went to the players, I'm sorry. Sorry, most of the purchase price went to buy the players' contracts. Mm -hmm. Players were assets, just like the ballpark and the groundskeepers, rakes and shovels. And since a player's value declined as he got older... He was an asset that could be depreciated to reduce the corporation's taxes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Which, under the IRS rules, Vec and his partners needed to own 80% of the stock to take advantage of their depre- depreciation scheme. But Chuck would not sell any, let alone enough of his shares, so Vec never got his tax break, but other sports teams' owners did for decades afterwards. So he kind of exposed this loophole... That is an absolute loophole. Yeah, and then and then the other owners took advantage of it, even though he wasn't able to, because like I say, he didn't own eighty mm-hmm. percent. Uh, so Vec and Comiskey put aside their differences to appear together at the nineteen fifty nine home opener. Left hander Vec threw out the first ball, and Comiskey caught it. Then a fusillade of fireworks erupted in left field. At the seventh inning stretch, each of the nineteen thousand fans was invited to have a free beer. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what people want. I wonder, like, does it does does that end at the seventh inning stretch though? Because like, it'd be pretty tough to serve nineteen thousand beers in the time you can sing "God Bless America" and yeah, take me out to the ball game. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I don't know if they sang "God Bless America" back then, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I think that that was that's recent. I know yeah. they did sometimes during the war years, but uh, going on. Why don't we get free beers? <laughs> I've never gotten a free Vec back beer. again. Yeah. I know. So, like I said, invited to have free beer. Bill Vec was back, <laughs> but the front office truce was strictly for public appearances. Comiskey continued his court fights while Vec mostly ignored him, and poor Hankus Pankus Greenberg became the unwilling go between the two. Jesus, poor guy. Uh, so Vec threw his frenetic energy into filling Comiskey Park, making as many as three speeches a day and appearing on radio and television shows from morning till midnight. He gave away orchids on Mother's Day. In the same game, the lucky chair prize was 36 live lobsters. <laughs> That's what I'm talking what? about. Who is going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to transport that? 36 live lobsters? This is, this is like the chicken, like the giant egg going missing. Like, <laughs> yeah. how does that even, like, how do you get that home? Like, I don't know. Like, I took the subway here. I took the L train, <laughs> dude. Uh, anyone have a live well? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so other fans received a thousand cans of beer. A thousand, what? a thousand, a thousand cans of beer. Once again, what did you drive to the ballpark? Yeah. A thousand pies, a thousand bottles of root beer, a thousand cupcakes, and a hundred free restaurant dinners. Quote, you give a thousand people a can of beer and each of them will drink it, smack his lips and go back to watching the game, he wrote. You give a thousand cans to one guy and there's always an outside possibility that 50,000 people will talk about it. <laughs> Which is true. Which is, no, yeah, that is actually, so he's learned, he's just like, I... Just give it to one guy just, and everyone will be like, he, he, he gave 50,000 beers yeah. to one guy. <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> uh, 
He also staged free days for cab drivers and bartenders, believing they were valuable public relations boosters for the club. I mean, that's just pretty smart. smart. People that, like, back before you phones go, existed, yeah. you had conversations with You gotta with go people. to the White Sox. Vex giving free beers away. Yeah, and you're, you're in a taxi. Hey, what's there good to do around Chicago? Go get... A 36 lobsters. I picked up a guy at Comiskey Park. He had 36 lobsters. <laughs> we needed two calves. <laughs> After fans booed left fielder Al Smith, Vec let everyone named Smith or Smythe or Schmidt in as Al's guests. <laughs> Comiskey Park attendance reached a franchise record 1,423,144, but it fell just short of the Chicago record set by Vex's father's Cubs in 1929. Quote, I spent the first two-thirds of the season predicting that we didn't have enough power to beat the Yankees, Vex said of his new team, but manager Al Lopez assured him the White Sox could win. Vex made few changes to the roster, he got two-time outfielder Den- Del Ennis, lasted only seven weeks before he was released. Outfielder Suitcase Simpson <laughs> batted only 187 before he was traded to Pittsburgh on August 25th. <laughs> hey, hey, Suitcase, you're going to have to bat yeah, your Suitcase. Like, yes. No wonder his name was Suitcase. You should have known. <laughs> you should have known not to get that guy. <laughs> Anyway, he traded him to Pittsburgh for 34-year-old first baseman Ted Klazuski. The big clue had been a slugging star for Cincinnati, but chronic back problems had had sapped his power over the years. He managed just two homers in 31 games to finish out the season. The White Sox took over first place for good, though, on July 28th. Vec remarked, quote, Whoever thought that a team could win a pennant strictly on pitching defense and speed on the bases. Certainly I didn't. This is contrary to everything I've learned about baseball. <laughs> so he's obviously a proponent of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, he's like, I thought if we just hit the ball, then yeah. everything else would take care of itself. Yeah, that's right. So he gave all the credit to Lopez. Mm-hmm. And preparing for the White Sox first series since the Black Sox scandal, Vec again sold tickets on an individual game basis, and after or sold the games on an individual game basis after collecting the names of address and addresses of fans who had supported the club for years. "Quote: These are our VVVVVIPs," <laughs> he said. "Are very, 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 very important persons." <laughs> <laughs> Chicago crushed the Dodgers 11-0 in Game 1. But when Los Angeles claimed the championship, Vex said ruefully, quote, we got licked by the one thing we didn't have in common, power. (laughs) So he set out to fix that. He traded away much of the club's future. Uh, Six players went out the door, Earl Batty and John Romano, first baseman Norm Cash and Don Mincher, 20-year-old outfielder John Calliston, and Barry Latman, a pitcher. Everyone was a future all-star. And the deals brought in two of Vex's favorite players, but were both past their primes. 33-year-old first baseman Roy Seavers had played for him with the Browns. He had signed outfielder Minnie Minoso for Cleveland, but traded the Cuban comment to the White Sox before he became a star. Minoso was somewhere in his mid-30s, but his, his exact age remained in dispute. And Vec also acquired some young talent, 
the third, the 26 year old third baseman, Gene Freeze and 25 year old pitcher, Frank Bauman. So you just kind of, He's going all over the place. He yeah, seems to not have a plan anymore. He's being anymore. erratic. He wants to win again, and he's he's not really making a plan. He's just like, yeah. the Dodgers hit really good for a few games, so I'm going to focus on that entirely, right. and then I'm going to get rid of these guys that aren't helping, even though they're going to turn it like, oh, yeah, yeah. It just there's no plan. No, there's pa- no, plan. no patience no and patience. no plan to it. So defending the deals, he said, Quote, it has been my impression that youth plans and five-year plans lead not to penance, but only to new five-year plans. <laughs> Which, I think, like, there is a point where you go for it, and maybe after... Yeah, and maybe it doesn't work out, and you have to rethink, but, like... <laughs> but clearly, it's like, Bill, you you took this, like... The, the, he took that sentence and just sounds like he went overboard with it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he was just like, oh, the five-year plan just leads to a five-year plan. Well, if you have no plan, Bill, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it just leads to no plans. Yeah. So as you can see, the impatient Vex simply refused to wait for prospects to develop. The White Sox fell to third, fourth, and fifth over the next three years. They did not reach the postseason again until 1983. Hmm. In 1960, here's another thing he did. In 1960, he put players' names on the backs of their road uniforms mm. and built an exploding scoreboard to celebrate the home team's home runs. Exploding scoreboard? Yeah. You know the scoreboard in Chicago? No. The one with the lights and the spinny oh, spirals and things? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. I assume that's what he's talking okay. about. Okay, I thought like the numbers exploded no, onto the no, board. No, no, no. <laughs> Quote, it shrieks, wiggles, burps, whines, and twinkles, the sporting news marveled. Fireworks explode beneath the scoreboard while tape recordings give out virtually every sound imaginable. A cavalry charge, machine gun fire, two trains crashing head on, subway screechings, jet bombers, and a woman screaming, Fireman, save my child! I don't know why they would. Why would they? I don't know. That's not a good idea to just have someone scream, save my child in a public place. Yeah. But anyway, the cacophony delighted fans and infuriated opponents. Cleveland outfielder Jimmy Pearsall threw a ball at the board. We mentioned that. <laughs> Holy Christ. Shit. What was that? Your cat just like fell. <laughs> Failed off the... Oh my God. So Jimmy Pearsall. Jimmy Pearsall. Friend, friend of the show. Friend of the show. Yeah. yeah. Threw it at the board. Casey Stengel or- orchestrated a response. After Mickey Mantle hit a home run, Stengel and the Yankees paraded in front of the visitor's dugout, waving sparklers. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, they were making fun of it. Yeah. They're carrying their own sparklers. Yeah, 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 They're not yeah, going to set yeah, it off yeah, for the Yankees, yeah. obviously. It's cute. Yeah. So eventually, as we know, most other teams eventually added names to their uniforms and sound and light shows to their scoreboards. Yep. Uh, in 1960, the White Sox broke the Chicago attendance record with more than 1.6 million, but Vec was suffering frightening health problems. The chain smoker broke down in coughing fits that sometimes caused him to pass out. In 1961, he went to the Mayo Clinic for tests. Doctors diagnosed a variety of ailments and prescribed retirement. Vex sold his share in the White Sox to one of his partners, Arthur Allen Jr. I love that. Just Bill, you're going to either have to quit smoking or retire. <laughs> 
Well, I guess I'll retire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Arthur, do you want my share of the stocks? I got 54%. <laughs> not 80, enough to, to somehow not Yeah, I can't screw the government taxes. as taxes. But anyway, so the 47-year-old Vec moved his, sold, his, sold the stock and moved his uh, family to a Maryland farm on the shore of Chesapeake Bay. I almost wrote it as Cheapskate Bay. Cheapskate Bay. <laughs> Chesapeake Bay. Chesapeake Bay. He called the place Tranquility. In 1962, he published his autobiography, Vec as in Wreck, co-authored by sports writer Ed Lynn. And the final line reads, quote, Sometime, somewhere, there will, be a ball, there will be a club no one really wants, and old Will will come wandering along to laugh some more. Look for me under the arc lights, boys. I'll be back. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Over the next few years, Vec wrote a newspaper column, captivated the many sports writers who made the pilgrimage to tranquility, and recovered his health. What? Yep. While watching local Little League games, he discovered a 12-year-old with a sweet swing named Harold Baines. What? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. He and Lynn wrote another book, The Hustler's Handbook. He tried to revive a failing Boston horse track, Suffolk Downs. Wait, 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 wait. The Hustler's Handbook? The Hustler's Handbook. What? You gonna look that up? Yes, absolutely. You should look that up. He wrote that book. Yeah. And then he tried to revive the horse track, the Suffolk Downs, and he wrote a book about that too, as well, called 30 Tons a Day. (laughs) That was about shit. I think that's the horse shit. Yeah. How how much horse shit there is at a horse track. Yes, absolutely. So, during his hiatus from inner circles of baseball ownership and motivated by a deep sense of fairness... Yeah. He was the only owner to testify in support of outfielder Kurt Flood during Ooh. his landmark challenge to baseball's reserve clause. Vex supported the player's position, even though he knew it would likely lead to the end of mom-and-pop owners like himself, who would be priced out of the game with free agency. How the fuck? Okay, and like, good for him for supporting Fred Lynn. He's got a smoke in his mouth on the front of Hustler's Handbook. (laughs) Supporting Kurt Flood, you mean? Yes, sorry. Who did I say? Fred Lynn. That's the other author author on this book. Yeah. Oh, my God. So he's smoking on this Hustler's Handbook? He's he's got a smoke in his mouth. Is it just another autobiography? It must be. No, it's about. So it's about. What's the difference between a promoter and a hustler, Bill Vec asks. Well, let's look at it this way. Neither one of them is an advertiser. An advertiser pays for his space. A promoter works out quid pro quo. A hustler gets a free ride and makes it seem as if he's doing you a favor. (laughs) So he's writing a book about how to con people? Is that what's going on? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yes. Then. Uh, Vex supported the players, blah, 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 blah yeah, the price out of the game. Yeah. Free agency, he described the players' condition as, quote, human bondage, but said the reserve clause should be phased out gradually to avoid chaos. Yeah, I mean, that, there, there is a point to that, yeah. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Hank Greenberg and Jackie Robinson were the only other baseball men to testify on Flood's behalf. Uh. So, five years later... In 1975, Vec learned that the White Sox were for sale. (laughs) He's back. He's back. Owner John Allen, who had bought control of the team from his brother Arthur, Mm -hmm. was near bankruptcy. Attendance had sagged as fans stayed away from the deteriorating neighborhood around Comiskey Park. 
and the franchise was on the verge of being transferred to Seattle. <laughs> the pilots always come yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is in '75, so I the pilots know. are dead. This, I, yeah. This is this would be interesting to look at too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know. Anyway, we know that they just got Seattle, but yes. Anyway, it so aware. Bill's like, "All right, I got a plan, guys. I'm going to get this team. That's right. We're going to give out lobster and beer. That's right. The 61 year old Vec put together a group of more than 40 investors this time, including Greenberg and one-time White Sox manager Paul Richards, but American League owners rejected the bid. They're like, oh, that goddamn Vex back. <laughs> we already got Finley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they said Vex deal was too dependent on borrowed money, but like, at least that was the public explanation, obviously, that yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. matter before. Yes. Uh, several owners acknowledged their distaste for a man who had ridiculed them and criticized them for years. After Vecca raised additional cash, they voted him down again. But then Detroit Tigers owner John Fetzer told his colleagues that Vec had done everything they asked. Quote, look, I don't like it any more than you do, but we're allowing a guy in here who has called me a son of a bitch over and over. But gentlemen, we've got to take another vote. He's basically just like, he's doing everything we yeah, said. Yeah. We can't just keep moving the goalposts on this guy, you know? Yeah. He's he's literally called me everything in the book, but I... Yeah. 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 We gotta just, just do it. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. So they had another vote, and many of them were probably biting their tongues, but they approved him by 10 to 2. More than three-fourths the majority necessary. Mm-hmm. So he's in there by a landslide. So Vec greeted the vote by kicking his wooden leg high above his head. (laughs) Then he put up a sign saying open for business in the hotel lobby where the winter meeting was being held and spent 14 hours making trades in public. Jesus. (laughs) On his first day of being readmitted to the club, he was already horrifying his fellow owners. Milwaukee's Bud Selig fumed, this is a goddamn meat market. (laughs) I added the goddamn, but still. <laughs> Vec had only 13 days to celebrate his comeback. On December 23rd, arbitrator Peter Setz abolished the reserve clause that bound the players to their teams for life. The decision opened the door to free agency and the spiraling salaries that came with it. Vec was short on working capital with no margin for error. So as soon as he got back into the game, he was already on his way out. That's... Yeah, but he would not go quietly, obviously. Uh And the party started on opening day. To celebrate America's bicentennial, he reenacted Archibald McNeil's... Archibald McNeil Willard's famous painting of the Spirit of 76. Wearing bandages and uniforms of the Revolutionary Army, Vec wore a peg leg and played a fife. Okay. He's marching across the field playing this fife. Yep. His longtime sidekick, Rudy Schaefer, beat a drum, and manager Paul Richards carried the American flag as the trio marched across the field. <laughs> the stunts continued nonstop throughout the season. A bevy of belly dancers, parades of horses, and cattle, nightly prizes for random fans. He outfitted the players in Bermuda shorts for a few games. <laughs> why? Just because. Just why not, I guess. He put coach Minnie Minoso, who was said to be 53 years old, in the lineup as a DH. (laughs) Comiskey attendance jumped by 20% to 915,000, 
but it was only 10th in the league, and the White Sox finished last. Oh. Vec told general manager Roland Hemmel, quote, don't bother drawing up a budget. We don't have any money. We'll think of something. <laughs> <laughs> you want that budget there, Bill? Oh, no, no, nah, no. Don't we don't, we don't actually have money. We're going for broke. <laughs> We're going for broke. I'm ending up at uh, Atlantic City tonight. We'll find out tomorrow what our budget is. <laughs> yeah. So he still worked and played for 20 hours a day, drinking two dozen beers and smoking up to four packs of Salem Longs, stubbing out the butts in his leg ashtray. Jesus Christ. Herman said, quote, I'll tell you people I've worked for Bill Vec for five years, but it was really 10 because I never slept. Was you, do, you, do, how many beers? 20? Two dozen. Two dozen. So... Uh, a yeah, case, 24 a case so just yeah. just imagine just imagine for so like 80 cigarettes yes. and 24 beers yeah every, every day. day it's ridiculous <laughs> well the man thought 36 lobsters was a normal <laughs> fucking number to give away to people so i'm not surprised like how is he hydrating like <laughs> well there's water and beer <laughs> don't put your <laughs> like smoking and drinking are like the two like of the most dehydrating activities you can do. Well, like oh my god, he was surviving. He 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 fought back from the brink of death. I understand. <laughs> In 1977, Vec found an angle and near and nearly rode his rent a player strategy to glory. He acquired players who were a year or two away from free agency, knowing he could not afford to keep them. With sluggers like Richie Zisk and Oscar Gamble, the Go-Go Sox were transformed into the Southside Hitmen. The team belted 192 home runs, second in the majors, and they won 90 games that season. They contended for the West Division Championship for much of the season, but eventually fell to third place. Vec broke his own Comiskey Park record for attendance with more than $1.6 million and was named Executive of the Year by the Sporting News. But it was downhill from there. He told the fans, quote, We will scheme, connive, steal, do everything possible to win the pennant, except pay big salaries. <laughs> imagine, imagine someone does that now. <laughs> just, I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. We ain't paying for shit, but we are going to be underhanded in every opportunity we We're going to be dirty get. in every possible way. <laughs> Vex Doom's second time around in Chicago hit bottom on July 12, 1979. I was waiting for this. Disco demolition night. Yeah, I was waiting for this one. <laughs> I'm not going to get too, too into this because there's lots it's, of coverage. You should you listen can, to the dollop episode about this. Yeah, we're just, I mean, YouTube, there, there's so many good podcasts and, right, and right. documentaries about Disco Demolition Night. Yeah, but the Coles notes is that it was an ill-begotten attempt to attract young people and show that the socks were hip. Yeah. So the, the, the plan was you could bring a disco record mm -hmm. and you could get in or buy a dis bring a disco record and buy a ticket for 98 cents. And watch as the records were blasted to smithereens between games of a double hever. An overflow crowd crashed the gates, and they soon began sailing records onto the field. Jesus. They were fueled by beer and marijuana, and thousands <laughs> spilled out of the stands and ran amok, and the second game was forfeited 
to Detroit. Beer and marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's, uh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think That's the, what the papers wrote. Yeah, well, I don't think the weed was the problem I don't there. think so either. I've but never gotten super stoned and been like, you know what I want to do? Run I want to destroy around. disco, man. <laughs> destroy disco. <laughs> <laughs> So by 1980, Vex luck, money, and health had run out. Mm-hmm. The 66-year-old's hearing and eyesight were failing. He suffered from emphysema. No and, shit. Yeah, no kidding. And underwent an operation on his remaining leg. So now his good leg is getting operated on. Mm-hmm. Probably had gout, no doubt. <laughs> but he could not even leave the game without controversy. When he agreed to sell the White Sox to shopping mall magnate Edward J. D. Bartolo. The American League refused to approve the deal on the grounds that DiBartolo would be an absentee owner who also owned racetracks. DiBartolo suspected the real reason was his Italian heritage. I was going to say, that name sounds ethnic. Yeah. And uh, as we know with ownership in Major League history. Yeah. And like I say, with the Italian heritage and its stereotype mafia connections. Yeah, they're like, I, I don't know. He's, don't know. he's got a racetrack. And yeah. then what goes on at racetracks? Gambling. You know what gamblers are connected to the mafia. And you know what this guy is? Italian. Racetrack owner. Yep. And no, it's all, yep. no it's we all. can't approve this. Yeah, no. Never. So Vex said, quote, I've never been ashamed to be a member of the American League, but I am now. Chicago real estate developer Jerry... Reinsdorf and television entrepreneur Eddie Einhorn bought the club. At their first press conference, Einhorn promised to run a high-class operation. Vec was insulted and never <laughs> went again to Comiskey Park. Einhorn later insisted he meant no offense, but he did not back away from his criticism of Vec's operation. Look, 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 look. We were just saying that we were going to be high class after you publicly said that you were going to be a conniving piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Einhorn said, quote, he called his ballpark the world's largest outdoor saloon and was proud of it. We came in immediately and tried to change that image, and we succeeded in making it a family place to be. So Vec returned to his roots as a Cub fan and became a regular in the raucous Wrigley Field bleachers. So he'd be sitting out there. Yeah. Just in the bleachers. Yeah, of course he would. Drinking and smoking. Putting it out in his leg. That's right. Yeah. In 1984, he contracted lung cancer. He died at the age of 71 on January 2nd, 1986. Well, for good for him for living that long, Thanks. considering yeah. what he did to uh, his body. Yeah. <laughs> Got his leg crushed by a massive yeah, he gun. Worked 20 hours a day, drunk and chain smoking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his cremated remains were interred at Oakwood Cemetery in Chicago, and Vec was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1991. Bill Vec's baseball legacy is his son, Mike. That's Mike Vec, not Michael Vick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Part owner and flamboyant promoter of several minor league teams. Mike's most infamous stunt was vasectomy day. What? That's right. Vasectomy day. Oh. A fan would get a free one on Father's Day. No. <laughs> yeah. But that was aborted by religious opposition. Aborted by religious opposition. Yeah. Good good use of language. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said of his father, quote, he had this tremendous sense of the absurd, and he gave that to me. 
Holy shit. So I'm interested to see what happens with Mike Vec yeah. and his whole baseball career. I think we got to dig in. We got to bring Mike Vec on here and uh, have, have him as a guest. <laughs> That'd be interesting for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. Actually looking if he's like still, how many teams he's still running. If he's or running just, any, maybe he's been run out of minor league baseball. Yeah. Just with the promotions and stuff. Oh my God. Now, Bill, like I knew, you know, obviously I knew about Chicago Demolition Night. I knew that he was an eccentric promoter, but like all of that stuff, both those parts was that was that was phenomenal. We were I knew there was gonna be a Bill Vec episode eventually, yeah. and yeah. I should have guessed. I thought, honestly, based on what you were saying, I thought it was Ted Turner. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was I could see be. that. You know, I kinda left it very ambiguous, right? Yeah. So like but yeah, um yeah. When I started doing Bill Vec, I was like, Oh, this would be like, you know, in kinda in the same vein as the finley episode or whatever and it, it is i th- honestly i think finley was a little bit more crazy yeah but vec was just a different kind of crazy vec was like a well vec just kept coming back and that's why i think it, it like i had no choice but to make it as long as i did because it was hard to be like well how do you leave out how do you leave out the cleveland yeah. years and how do you leave you no, can't you leave can't. out that he like did all that shit with the Browns and like you know owning the White Sox twice within twenty years yeah. or twenty five years. Or no, whatever. and that is the thing. That's the thing is, is Finley was just a lunatic, mm-hmm. whereas Vec was just uh, determined, a but, determined but, like, asshole, but had crazy <laughs> ideas you and know? good ideas as well. Like right, so many right, good ideas. Once right. again, just like the Finley episode, it's just like, well, like they did a lot of crazy shit, but like in the end. They were revolutionary as well. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, as I say, I mentioned it at some point. I don't remember if it was in part one or part two. Where just like, where would we be without these types of owners? No, exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's absolutely wild. The baseball's inability to to move forward without someone literally having to drag it, and that person normally being getting a, ousted and yeah, like well, ending up in the bleachers at Wrigley Field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to hang out here when I was a kid. I used to sell popcorn over there. I was nine or ten or whatever it was. <laughs> used to work here for $18 a week. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Well, that was uh, oh, that was incredible. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, tune in uh, next time. Uh, yeah, Sean's got a story for me next time. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. And yeah, follow us at, at Doing Baseball uh, on Instagram at Doing.Baseball. Uh, give us a like or a whatever a review. That's a thing or a rating, whatever. If not, uh, it's me now. Wherever we are, what are we doing? It's over. It's I'm still over. talking. Yeah. Uh, so until next time, I'm Sean and I'm Eds and we were doing baseball. Okay. Bye. Okay.